Are you comforted and confronted? Or maybe just confronted by that verse? And even by the lyrics of that song, I think that is some confrontation for us, church. It's so easy for us to fall into our normal patterns of life, to stay in our comfort zones, to stay in our safe places, and to neglect the things that are hard, to neglect the things that are different. And so I pray, and I, I've been, as I've been studying justice the last couple weeks, really, Linnea's video, when she said, I pray that you would be both confronted and comforted by the word, that really felt prophetic to me because as I've been studying this topic of justice, I have felt both confronted and comforted by God's word. And so I hope that's the case for us. Unfortunately, the next 30 minutes of preaching is woefully inadequate for me to do justice to the topic of justice. I can't get as deep into it as I would like to. I want to encourage you to, to look at these three resources. Tim Keller has written a book on justice called Generous Justice. A lot of what I've learned over on this topic over the last couple months has come from that book. The Bible Project has a great three-part podcast on this idea of biblical justice and social justice. I highly recommend that to you. And then one of my favorite books all time of how the church is supposed to do life and ministry together, it's called Total Church. They have a chapter in that book called Social Involvement. So I encourage you to get those resources and to look into it. And again, today is going to be woefully inadequate we're only going to be able to scratch the surface on biblical justice this morning, but I hope that scratch causes you to itch all the more. Sorry for the analogy there, but I hope that sticks with you. I hope that you dig into this topic and you search God's heart for justice. Last week, just in a way of overview, last week we looked at Luke chapter 11, verses 37 through 54. Particularly, we looked at Luke chapter 11, verse 42, where Jesus tells his followers, and he tells the Pharisees, the lawyers, and his disciples as he's teaching them, he says, give, you should do good works, you should, you should give your money, you should give your mint, rue, and dill in the passage that we looked at last week. You should give, you should do good, but don't neglect justice. The, the Greek word is Christus, and the Old Testament Hebrew word is mishpat. It's a right judgment, a proper judgment from God. And so do good works. Get out in your communities and in your church body. Do good to one another and for one another. But don't neglect justice, the proper judgment of God and the love of God. That was last week. Now this week, I want to do a biblical overview of justice. So last week, we looked specifically at Jesus' words when he used the word justice, this week I want to kind of back up a little bit and do now a bigger overview of justice, looking at the history of injustice, God's heart for justice, and our call to do justice. What does this look like in our church? What does this mean for our church? And so just to get started here, let's talk about the history of injustice. We're going to cover a lot of ground today. I'm going to look at a ton of passages. Some of these that will be on the screen I'll ask you to turn to. Others I won't necessarily, but you can jot these down to look at things in context on your own. The history of injustice. I don't think I have to prove to any of you that our world is an unjust place, do I? Do you guys feel that? Do you see that? Do you know that? You turn on the news and you hear about injustice, you, you know the injustices in your own heart, in your own life, the way that you selfishly think about certain things, the way that you have conflict in maybe your marriage or your family relationships or some broken friendships. It's all a result of injustice. It's a result of the fall. It's a result of sin's effects in the world. So we only have injustice and we only have a need for justice because things are broken, because things are not 
right. Last week we talked about justice and righteousness. Those two terms go together and they're often put together in the scriptures. And, and it's a sign, it's a reminder to us that things are broken. We only need justice because we live in an unjust world. The history of injustice traces back to Adam and Eve. God had created them and he put them in a perfect garden in this beautiful place. Everything was just. Everything was right. All things were righteousness. There was no need in the world for justice before Adam and Eve disobeyed God. There was no need for justice because everything was just. Everything was right. And then Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, in an act of willful, willful disobedience, they disobeyed God when they listened to the serpent and they ate of the forbidden fruit. And we see injustice start. Injustice starts as it divides their relationship, as they run and hide from God, as Adam and Eve for the first time felt shame and they, they covered themselves, they hid their bodies, they, they hid from God and so injustice starts. And then in Genesis chapter 4, Adam and Eve, Eve have children, Cain and Abel. And what do we see in Genesis chapter 4? We see the injustice of one brother becoming envious of another brother and killing him. His, he sheds his blood, his blood now cries out that things are broken, that injustice is now present on the earth. And so God created the world perfect, totally just, totally right. Adam and Eve in their willful disobedience, they brought injustice into the world and that starts affecting all of their lineage. Cain and Abel, murder. And then Israel, God establishes his people, Israel. And we're going to talk more about his establishment of Israel in a bit. But as we read from Amos chapter 5, injustice, right? I mean, injustice, God calls them out. They're doing the law. They're doing the good works of the Old Testament. They are gathering together. He says in Amos chapter 5, 21, I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. God, would that not be true of us here this morning? Even though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away the noise of your songs, the melody of your harps, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And so God had built this people Israel. He had, he had made a people Israel to live life out in the midst of this unjust world, in the midst of this broken world, he created Israel to show the world God's justice, to repair God's justice, to do God's justice on earth, and God's people, Israel, neglected justice. There was injustice among this community of God. There was injustice among God's people, and that's why he calls them out here in Amos chapter 5 and many other passages in Scripture. Isaiah chapter 1 is a prominent one. Isaiah chapter 58 is a prominent one where God calls out his people Israel for neglecting justice, for contributing to the injustices of the world. But it's bigger than just the Hebrew people. It's bigger than just Israel. This is an issue for all of mankind. An issue for all of mankind. Genesis chapter, chapter 6, verse 5, right before the flood, God looks down on the earth and he says, every intent of man was on evil all the time. The world as we know it is filled with injustice because sin has wreaked havoc on our lives. Look at Psalm chapter 14. 
We'll turn to this one. Psalm chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, summarizes it well for us. It's on page 453 in the Pew Bible. Psalm 14, 1 through 3. This is David, the king of Israel, writing about the state of mankind. He says, The fool says in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. As David, the king of Israel, looks out over his nation, over the people of God, the people that God created to bring justice into the world, he looks out at them and he says, there's no one who does good, not even one. He looks out at the pagan nations of the world, the other peoples of the world, he says, there's no one who does good. Injustice runs rampant. Injustice is a part of the human race. We are now sinners by nature and choice. We are fallen. We are broken. We contribute to injustice. Look at how the prophet Isaiah says this in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6. It's on page 614. The prophet Isaiah says, We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, that's Jesus, the iniquity of us all. We'll get there. We'll get to Jesus. But just listen to the state of mankind. This is the story of the Hebrew people, of the Israelites. But it's also the story of mankind. And the Hebrew story is the human story. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Bryant Myers, in his book, Walking with the Poor, which came out in 1992, he says that sin has essentially broken all of mankind in four ways. It's broken our relationship with God, our Creator. We see this in Adam and Eve. That's why they, why they run and they hide from God. Sin has broken our relationship with God, our Creator. It's why we feel distant. And even if you're not a Christian, or even if you're trying to think through a different worldview or lens for the world. Think about all the different religions and cultures of the world. People naturally feel distant from a higher power. We call him God. He is God. There is one true God. His name is Yahweh. But other, other religions, they have these higher powers that they think exist, but they feel distant from them. They feel broken. And so sin has, has shattered and broken us from the supernatural. We feel distant from God or that God is unpleased with us. That's why Adam and Eve ran and hid. They felt shame. They felt like God was disappointed. God was angry. God was distant. And so sin has broken our relationship with God. Sin has also broken our relationship with ourself. We have a distorted view of our self-image because of sin. That's why there's gender dysphoria in our world. That's why there's so much confusion. That's why there's so much depression over body image. Adam and Eve covered themselves because sin had deeply affected the way that they saw themselves. That's why, we concern about bump, that's why we're concerned about bumps on our skin or how much we weigh or how we look like or how we look. Sin has broken our relationship with God. It's broken our relationship with the self. There's injustice internally in, my, in myself. I, I don't even treat myself justly. I don't treat myself right. That's why people have addictions to even something like Mountain Dew. I mean, sin has deeply affected us that way, that my body craves substance and sugar and things that aren't good for it because I'm deeply broken. 
It's not right that I wake up in the morning and I drink 17 pots of coffee because I need the caffeine to get through the day, but, but my body isn't right. My mind isn't right. Sin has deeply affected my relationship with God and my view of self. That's why we all put on a persona and we go out and we try and present ourselves in a certain way because sin has affected how we view ourselves. Injustice runs deep in the human race and it's affected how we do relationship with others. And that's why there's discord and dysfunction and strife and quarrels in our relationships. And it's affected our relationship with creation. That's why there's centipedes. Those things are terrible. <laughs> and spiders and mosquitoes. Oh, but, but really, sin has affected our relationship with creation. God puts a curse on the ground and Adam now has to work hard to till the ground and to have crops grow up and bear fruit where before it just came with ease. And so the Hebrew story is the story of mankind. We have a broken relationship with God, with self, with others, and with creation. And this is true for all of mankind. I mean, the Hebrew story, the Hebrew Bible, is God working to repair justice, to set up an outpost of justice on the earth. But the Israelites get it wrong, the church gets it wrong, and the world gets it wrong. The history of mankind is that of injustice. All civilizations build systems of oppression where the privileged take, take advantage of the underprivileged. That's just human nature. We know it's wrong. Internally, we know it's wrong. And when we see it happening, we, we react against it. But all humankind, all religions, all cultures, all nations, they inherently build systems where the privileged take advantage of the underprivileged, the poor. Not intentionally, but this is how human nature naturally moves. We could even think that politically or in our nation, we're going to set up a good system where the privileged will not take advantage of the underprivileged. In fact, the privileged are here to help the underprivileged. But mankind, in our sin, in our brokenness, in our own internal brokenness, we are unjust and it will work out as injustice in our world. This is the history of mankind. And God's not okay with that. God has a plan for justice. God created all men equal in his image, with his likeness. And so the injustices of the world, the injustices in our own heart, the injustices around the world, in our nation, in our country, in other countries, in other nations, in the Christian church, the church of Jesus Christ, and in other religions, God is not okay with it because it damages and hinders the image of God in man. And so God has a plan to reestablish or to restore justice. Not even reestablish it. He wouldn't have to establish justice if sin hadn't entered the world, right? Everything was just before sin. Remember that foundation? Adam and Eve willfully disobeyed God. We've all been deeply affected by it. We are sinners by nature and choice. We've inherited this broken, unjust, wrong, crooked nature from Adam and Eve, but we've also willfully disobeyed ourselves, sinners by nature and choice. And this works its way out by destroying relationships. And God has a plan now to establish justice to make things right, to mend the broken, to straighten out the crooked. What is God's plan for justice? Well, we see in the scriptures. 
It's to bless the nations of the earth by forming a community to care for the vulnerable. We need to do a little work here. Flip back to Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12. And so Genesis 3 and 4, we saw the fall of man. We saw that Adam and Eve willfully disobeyed. That affected their relationship. Cain and Abel, we see injustice being worked out there. Genesis chapter 6 verse 5, we see that every thought and heart and intent of man was evil all the time. God preserved a people in Noah and the ark. Then we get to Genesis chapter 12 where God establishes a people group, the Israelites, to bless the nations of the world. Look at Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, this is before he changes his name to Abraham, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so see what God is doing here? He, he longs for things to be right. His heart is for there to be no injustice among his people. And so he establishes a people group to go out into the world to be a blessing, to establish justice, to make things right. And God will bless this people group, the Israelites, so that they can go into the world and bless them. Look at Genesis 18, verses 17 through 19. This is a little bit later in the Abraham story. Verse 17, the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the ways of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. See that? God is establishing a people. He called Abraham. He created Israel to be a blessing to the nations, to care for the vulnerable people of the world. He says, I have chosen him that he may command his children and household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. So God's plan for reestablishing for, for, for bringing justice down to earth, a place that needs justice now, is to work through this people group who would honor him and who would do what he commands them to do, to care for the vulnerable people of the world. Let's look at some examples of how they are called now as God forms Israel, as God puts Israel together and gives them laws and gives them commands and tells them how to live, how to be a blessing in the world. God gives them some instruction. He gives them a ton of instruction we don't have time to go through all of it this morning, but I want to look at a few key ones. Look at Leviticus 19, verse 9 through 18. This is on page 97 in the Pew Bible. It says, God setting up his people, establishing a community of people, the Israelites, to care for the vulnerable people of the world. Leviticus 19, verse 9. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to the edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, and you shall not strip the vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. See what God is doing here? He, he's established his people. He's giving his, his people laws, and he's saying, as you farm, as you do agriculture, as you tend to your vineyard, don't take all of the proceeds for yourself. Don't take all of what I produce for yourself. In fact, leave some for the poor among you, 
and leave some for the sojourners, those who aren't a part of your community, those who aren't a part of your nation, but those who happen to be passing through, or those who may be displaced, those who may be out of a place to stay, leave some for them. He goes on to just listen to how God describes justice for his community. Verse 11, you shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely, you shall not lie to one another, you shall not swear by a false name and profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired servant shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God, I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slander among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, you shall, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So God is establishing this people. He's setting up this people group to be a a community, a nation of justice. This is how justice is done in the mind, in the eyes of the Lord. Now look at Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 7 through 11. Here again, God has given his law. He's setting up the way that Israel is to do life in order to honor him and bring justice to earth. And here he's talking about a a sabbatical year, a year to take off from work and from tending to the ground. And look at verses 7 through 11 of Deuteronomy 15. God's instruction to his people. If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother. But you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Take care, lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart, and you say, the seventh year, the year of release is near, and that's that's a year where everything is freed up, it's all released, your debts are forgiven. And so he's saying, don't, don't worry about it then. If there's a need in front of you now, take care of it now. The seventh year, the year of release is near, and your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother, and you give him nothing, and he cried to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin. You shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him, because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all of your work and in all that you undertake, for there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I commanded you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother." to the needy and to the poor in your land. Hear the word of God. There shall never cease to be poor from among you. And what are you as the people of God, the community of God, to do about it? You are to open up your hand and to give freely. You are to care for the broken, for the disenfranchised, for the poor. And then let's look at Zechariah chapter 7. Verses 8 through 10. This is on page 795. And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, he's a prophet among Israel, God's people, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments, that word there is mishpat, it's justice, 
So genuine, true justice is to do this, to show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. And let none of you devise evil in your heart against another. And so here God is giving us this idea. He is showing us that to bring him glory, to reestablish justice, or to bring justice on the earth, he has set up a community. In the Old Testament, it was Israel. Now in the New Testament, it's the church of Jesus Christ. It's us. This is God's word to us that he wants to bless, bless the nations of the earth by creating a community, his church, to care for the vulnerable. Nicholas, what's this guy's name? Nicholas Walterstorff termed a phrase, the quartet of the vulnerable. As he looked through the Old Testament, he said that it seems like God has this unique heart and love for widows, orphans, poor, and immigrants, or refugees, or sojourners. So as we look through all these Old Testament examples, and it's very clearly right here in Zechariah chapter 7, Thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments, show kindness, mercy to one another, do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, and the poor. The quartet of the vulnerable. And you can summarize the majority of the Old Testament teaching of God telling his people to care about the injustice of the world. He's telling his people to give special attention to the widow, to the orphan, to the poor, and to the immigrant. Now, by human nature and by the, by the structures of mankind, we don't, by nature, care for the widow, the orphan, the poor, or the immigrant. We naturally lean towards taking advantage of the disadvantaged. But God's heart for justice is uniquely set on these vulnerable people groups. And because we can't do it, God had to send Jesus, right? We can't do this, church. That's the thing. This is what God is doing here in the Old Testament. He's setting up a people group. Now it's the church. And we are incapable of completing this task. Scripture is calling us to work towards it. There's no excuse for us not to care about the quartet of the vulnerable and to apply God's word. But we can't do it. Have you noticed this? When you drive by the, the homeless person for the hundredth time on the intersection, how's your heart towards that person? Sometimes it's good, Right? Sometimes it's good and genuine and broken for them and you want to care. Other times you want to look the other way. You don't want to make eye contact because you're thinking through, are they trying to play me? Are they really poor? Are they even trying? Are they really even working? Sometimes when you think about immigration and, and refugees, sometimes your heart is broken and you care. Other times you're worried about your own comfort. And so church, we fail to do this. That's the point of the gospel and the point of Jesus. And because we fail to do this, we're incapable. Jesus, the second Adam, the first Adam failed. Jesus comes as the second Adam. He comes to redeem mankind and to establish true and eternal justice in his world through his church. So that's where Jesus comes onto the scene. And Romans chapter 5, write this down and read it later. Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21, has this incredible picture of what Jesus is doing and restoring and bringing justice to the earth and restoring what is broken. And Jesus himself comes in Luke chapter 4. Flip there with me. Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. It's on page 860. Here's Jesus bursts on the scene, the Son of God. 
comes, he walks into the temple and he unrolls the scroll and he reads from Isaiah and prophesies about the reason why Jesus came. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so Jesus has come, church. Here's the good news. Here's the gospel. We will never totally purify our hearts. We need to push each other and encourage each other and remind each other to care about the broken, to care for the quartet of the vulnerable, to give of ourselves. But we are so deeply broken. There's so much injustice going on in my own heart. I am so incapable of fulfilling God's command and law for me to care about the vulnerable that he sent Jesus to come and proclaim good news to the poor. He did what I am incapable of doing to set the captives free, to bring sight back to the blind. Jesus, the second Adam, came to redeem mankind and to establish true justice and eternal justice on earth. In fact, let's go, I know we're doing a lot of flipping, but let's go to Romans chapter 5. I want to read this in the context of our gathering because it's so beautiful. Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. It's on page 942. So the Apostle Paul writes Romans, he's picking up on this theme that Jesus came, he lived the life that we're incapable of living, he died the death that we should have died, and he's establishing and setting up justice now. He's forming his church, he's forming his people that we could go out as an outpost of justice. Here's what Paul says, verse 12 of Romans chapter 5. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, the first Adam, injustice, brokenness, discord, dysfunction, and death through sin, And so death spreads all men because all sinned, sinners by nature and choice. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, Adam's sin, many died, injustice has affected us all. Much more have the grace of God and the free gift of grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification." If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, and much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all, so one act of righteousness leads to justification for all men. You see that? Life is filled with injustice because we are broken. Because we can't do right and good all the time. Sometimes God is working in us and he's giving us the right things to do. He's always giving us the right thing to do. Sometimes we are fanning into flame the Holy Spirit in us and we're responding to his call. Other times we're, we're, we're quenching the Spirit and walking in the flesh and we are incapable of doing this. So he's saying, Jesus came, the second Adam, and reestablished justice, eternal justice. He justifies us 
Romans chapter 3, verse 26, says that he, Jesus, is the just and the justifier. He's the only right one. He's the only good one. He's the only true one. He's the only one who knows and does perfect justice. And now he has given that to us. And so Jesus comes and he reestablishes this. That's the gospel. That's what we respond to. That's what we celebrate when we come together. That's why I have a hard time doing this next piece of looking at our call to do justice because I'm just so sold on this idea that Jesus is our everything, that he deserves all of our worship, all of our praise, all of our gratitude, and that he stirs in us this humility that can cause us to go out and care about the sojourner, care about the poor, care about the widow, care about the broken. And that if we take our eyes off Jesus and we look at the brokenness of the world and we think a good person should do something good, we're going to fail. But if we look to Jesus and are reminded of what he established and set up for us on our behalf as individuals and then for the world, we're transformed internally. So he doesn't leave it there, though. Scripture does call us to do justice. What is that call? What is our call to do justice? Well, it's to bless the nations of the earth by living as a church, the church, the family, the body of Christ. That's why we're called the body of Christ, because Jesus set up justice. He established justice. He showed us what justice looks like. He says, now you are my body. You are my hands. You are my feet. Go out and do what I did. And so Jesus calls us to bless the nations of the earth all the nations of the earth, by living as a community, a family, a church, neighbors and witnesses who proclaim the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ in both word and deed. That means we proclaim the kingdom rule and reign of Jesus. That means that we do the good works that Jesus showed us to do. If you want to jot down Luke chapter 10, I think Luke chapter 10 gives us a great picture of doing good works in word and deed. Luke chapter 10 gives us a great picture of the church. The first part of Luke chapter 10, Jesus pulls his disciples aside and he prepares them and he sends them out to go and proclaim the gospel in word. They're evangelists. They're telling people that Jesus is the only way to God, that Jesus is the one who saves, that Jesus is the only one who can establish justice. They're proclaiming with their lips who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And then the second half of Luke chapter 10 is the parable of the Good Samaritan. So they're demonstrating. Jesus is telling them we ought to demonstrate the justice of Jesus. We proclaim it and we demonstrate it. We go out in word and deed. We speak Jesus' truth and we live Jesus' truth among the vulnerable, specifically among the widow the orphan, the poor, and the refugee. So how do we do this? How do we do this? Just some practical, bring it down to home. How do we do this? Well, the first thing you can do is just expand your personal sphere of relationships. Do you know any widows? Do you know any people underneath the poverty line? Do you know any refugees? Do you know any fatherless children? Maybe they're already in your sphere of relationship and you need to more intentionally engage them and get to know them and care about them and show them the love of Jesus Christ and establish a, a relationship of justice with them. Maybe you need to expand your personal relationship because everyone in your personal sphere is like you. And so consider that for yourself. What do you need to do about it? And then Lastly, deepen your organizational involvement. 
with a quick count, and I probably miss some, we have 21 widows at Park Community Church. Widows, God has called us to care for you, to build a relationship with you, to not neglect you, to not forget you. So church, you want to establish justice on earth in the name of Jesus, get to know the widows in your church. Ask them how you can care for them. Ask, you, ask them what you can do on their behalf. STEP, St. Louis Park Emergency Program, that's a local organization that gives food to, the, to, to those who are dealing with food in scarcity, to those who are poor and can't afford food. They've given out 374,000 pounds of food since, 2000, since the beginning of 2018. Almost 400,000 pounds of food. They always need more food. They always need donations. They need people to volunteer. You can deepen that relationship to serve the poor among us. Also, there's people under the poverty line in our own church. Do you know them? Have you heard their story? Have you asked how you can serve them and help them and build a relationship with them? One of the things that that book, Total Church, says in social involvement is people do not want to be a project. So please do not hear this list of to-dos as we need to go and do a project. People in poverty, they want relationship. They want to sit in our communities, sit in our circles, be a part of our lives. Here's some ways you can start building relationships there. Arrive. Arrive, Minnesota. They serve refugees. Talk to Kristen Vivian. Put your hand up real quick. You want to learn more about that? Talk to her. She has a team who's serving a Congolese refugee family in Columbia Heights. Talk to Nancy Quinn. Put your hand up, Nancy. Sorry, I didn't tell you I was going to call you out. And Anna Shurek. I think you're here too somewhere, right? Right there. They are, have been in contact with another local pastor who's engaging a Hopkins apartment building doing language tutoring with a Somali family. If you want to care about what God cares about, talk with them. See how you can help. Treehouse. Treehouse is the at-risk youth ministry which meets in our building on Tuesday nights and Thursday nights. Greg, their director, has told me that 87% of their kids are on free and reduced lunches, which means 87% of the kids who attend Treehouse would be considered poor. You want to do what Jesus has done, what he has called us to do? Connect with Greg. Some of you do. Thank you. Some of you do all this. Praise God. He is transforming us and making us anew for his glory, for the good of the world and for the advancement of his kingdom. But talk to Greg. Greg has also told me that it's by far, it, it, it's, it's far more common for anyone who attends Treehouse for them to not have a father living at home or if their father is at home, for him to be distant and abusive and cold and unavailable. And God has said, care about the fatherless. So church, this is what we are called to do. Jesus established it for us. We can't forget that. But then he's called us to go and do justice in the name of Jesus on his behalf. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to transition to a time of response. And Ben has a little transition for us because you know that I hate to leave you with it, leave you with a to-do list, right? Let's pray. God, I do pray that you would continue to share with us your mercy in your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray that we would be both convicted and comforted, convicted by our own apathy, our own indifference, or the pride when we do attempt to do good and comforted by Jesus, the, the comforter, the just and the justifier, and that he's established this and set it up and done it for us. And so God, I pray that you would meet us where we're at this morning. 
Convict us, confront us, comfort us for your glory, for our good and the advancement of your gospel, we pray. Amen.